0: The biblical patriarch Abraham isn't just the father of the Jewish people, he is a father to all people of faith, Christians and Jews. Join us today as we learn more about Father Abraham and his role in salvation history with our special guest, Steve Ray, producer of the film Abraham, Father of Faith and Works. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Oh, Franciscan University presents. I'm your host, Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement here at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and today we'll be talking about Father Abraham. I'm joined in our studios by our regular panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan, and Dr. Scott Hahn, who holds the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization, again here at Franciscan University. And we're so pleased to welcome Steve Ray to the show. Uh, Steve is a convert, as a fundamentalist Baptist, uh, grew up as a Baptist. Uh, him and his wife came into the church in 1994. Uh, you can hear about his conversion story and crossing the Tiber. Um, uh, over the past decade, Steve, you've been to the Holy Land and Rome on over 150 pilgrimages. You've led over 150. I've been on two of them. Uh, and uh, you've produced The Footprints of God uh, films about salvation history in the early church. And today, uh, we're going to be talking about Abraham, the father of faith and works, the video that you produced with Ignatius Press. Right. So-
1: So thank you for being on the show. It's great to be here with such wonderful gentlemen too, and brothers in Christ. I love it.
0: All right, so we're talking about Abraham. Uh, We know him as Father Abraham. Um, Who was uh, Abraham, Mm. and and what's his context in in kind of the kind of set the stage? You know, as we think about Noah and Adam, and where does where does Abraham fit in?
1: Well, Abraham Abraham was also a convert because he started out quite the pagan. Yeah, yeah. And uh, after Adam and Eve fell, and God started over again with Noah. People went into sin again, sin and idolatry, and the whole world was corrupt again. And God looked for one man that he could start over with again. He looked for one man that he could begin with. He could build a covenant with it. He could start a people with. And he found a man named Abram who was a pagan. He was worshiping the god Nana of the moon in what's today Iraq.
2: Unbelievable.
1: And at 75 years old, God saw that that man had a heart of a man who would follow him, a man that he could build on. Mm. and he called Abraham, and then the book of Acts it said that Abraham followed the God of glory. Mm. And so Abraham was also a convert, so I relate to yeah. him in that way. And he yeah. turned his back on his the people that he was from, the tombs and graves of his fathers, the gods that his fathers had followed, mm. and he took off on a journey to he did not know where. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he I, think was, it, I think it's profound when you think about the, what the world was like when Abraham yeah. was called. Yeah. You know? oh. like, sometimes it's easy to think, oh, he was just... He was a Jew, of course, right? No, but they're, 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 the world was a very different place yeah. than, than Jewish history, let alone today. Yeah.
1: And in a way, it's incorrect to call him a Jew because right. a Jew well, comes right. from his great-grandson <laughs> Judas, <son. He laughs> was right. a Hebrew, yeah. uh, from his relative Eber, but yeah. uh, very different. Infant sacrifice, human sacrifice, worshiping many gods polytheism. And to be called to follow the one living God was
2: quite an honor and quite a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. His uh, his travels are really pretty impressive, but <laughs> alongside your own, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are even more extensive. They sort of pale.
1: But I, I'm kind of a, a sissy compared to him. I mean, I fly in <laughs> yeah. Delta and I ride right. in
2: air conditioned right. buses. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. rode. He walked and rode. Yeah. Camel. And nobody was filming his uh, no. peregrinations. No. Yeah. <laughs> and and not just the uh, the Middle East. You've been to Europe. I was struck mm. by the fact that when you first went there, you wanted to research the roots of uh, the Reformation, and then you end up in Switzerland, which is a place people go to ski, uh, so that you could study at the feet of uh, Francis uh, Schaeffer.
1: Yeah, we live That's there. That's pretty for- astounding. Yeah. We sold, I had two kids in diapers at the time, and we sold everything we had, and we moved to Switzerland, rented a chalet in the Alps, and studied with Dr. Schaefer. Yeah. Wow. Well, that
2: was an act of trust.
1: Uh, well, I yeah. when I think back on it now, yeah, I was young, and I didn't <laughs> have health insurance. We, didn't, I, we just left with nothing and, yeah. and stayed there. And, yeah, yeah the, uh, I guess that was a little crazy. <laughs> a little like Abraham, only younger. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Younger, yeah. Yeah.
0: so we, we, we first know of Abraham as Abram and Abram. from the Ur of the Chaldees, right? Right, right. And, and so you've painted a little bit of a picture of the world that he came from and what he left behind. Um, but, but what else do we know about that, that, or what is that? why do we even know the Ur of the Chaldees? Where is that or what does that mean to us?
1: Well, it's in southern Iraq of today. It was called Mesopotamia because it's right by the uh, Tigris and Euphrates River and the word Mesopotamia means between the rivers. Okay. And it's that fertile area that goes up through what's today Turkey. because of the rivers. And um, you know that his name, Abram, which was later changed to Abram, was kind of a cruel name Hmm. because Abram means father, and here he is 75 years old and he still has no children. So can you imagine walking around with a name like father? Right. Everybody says, well, yeah. where's your kids? Well, I don't have any. Yeah. And then yeah. God makes it only worse later. In Genesis 17, he says, I'm going to change your name now to Father of Nations. And he still has no right. children. He only right. amplifies yeah. the yeah. terrible name. Yeah. If, if anybody <laughs> had
2: grounds for skepticism <laughs> about God, I think it would yeah. be Abram.
1: Yeah. 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 At 99 years old, you get the name <laughs> Abraham, Father right. of Nations. And right. he says, yeah. have you seen Sarah lately? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> right. And yeah. her, her name is, is a yeah.
0: yeah, her name. means princess, so. Yeah. So so you have all of this, and and what is the significance? I mean, how does that work when you see that you're being called something, and now you're being called out to do something even greater when there is no proof of it? Well, this is why he's the father of faith and not me,
1: because he actually believed that God would do this. If I was 75 and he said, leave, and and you have no children, I'm going to give you children, I'm going to give you all this land that you're going to see. My first thought was, leave for Where? Uh, We'll just go, and I'll tell you to stop when you Mm -hmm. get there. Well, is there going to be a pension, and what kind of mortgage am I going to have, and is there going to be some kind of a deed to the land? And I'd like to see on GPS and on the map where this is. God says, I'm not telling you any of that. Just go, and I'll tell you when to stop. And I'll give you the land and the sun. We'll fill in the blank. (laughs) And I would have said, I'm very skeptical. I think that maybe I'm not going to do this. I'll still believe in you, but I don't think I'm going to do this. Yes. But Abram, he said, okay, I'll do it. And in the movie, I love, there's a poem um, about Abraham, and it says, you come lately, Lord. You come very late. My forefathers are buried here. My gods are here. Everything is here. You ca- I'm 75. You come very late, Lord. Yeah. But my camels will leave in the morning.
0: Yeah, yeah that's beautiful. Wow. Yeah. That's faith. That's
1: faith. That's why he's there not me.
0: And and what's the significance? I mean, you kind of already talked about this, but, but, but Sarah being barren, you know, as you...
1: Well, the, having a son in those days was absolutely imperative. First of all, if a uh, woman didn't have a son when her husband died, she would be destitute because they didn't have unemployment and workman's mm. comp and, and welfare and all these things, Social Security. And second of all, that's how the family line, the family line was so important, especially in Israel later too, that uh, the family line came mm. through a son and they carried the name and the, and the family on further without a son. You really you remember the story of Hannah when she didn't have a son and finally Samuel came. They wouldn't even let her go to the temple because she said God. They said God has obviously um, not blessed you. You're obviously not worthy to even come to the temple because you don't have any children.
3: That's huge. It is
1: huge. huge. So this was such a blessing for them. Mm
3: -hmm. You know the call comes to him in his seventies, as you say there in Genesis twelve, and it comes to a man who's obviously part of a family, but he doesn't have his own, despite his name, exalted father. But when you back up a chapter or two, I think you get an even bigger and more dramatic context because Mm. in Genesis 10, you have the table of nations, as you know, which shows 70 descendants from Noah, which basically says that the entire human race is one family. You know, traceable back to the three sons of Noah. But then you fast forward to the next chapter, Genesis 11, where you have the Tower of Babel and you see this one big family has now become one big broken family, uh, yeah. scattered, confused, dispersed and disunited. And then suddenly the the call that Abram receives in the opening verses of Genesis 12, you know, go from this land to the land that I will show you to make you a great nation, a great name, so that all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that notion of blessing, as you know, Barakat occurs five times in those three verses. And it's really what you find in Genesis. Fathers bless children. Only in this case, God wants to be the one who blesses, and all the families of the earth are the ones who are to be recipients of that blessing. So clearly, this is not just an individual call, not just an individual conversion. It's part of a dramatic story that unfolds so that this big family that has been broken at the Tower of Babel is going to be reunited and blessed by God the Father through the faithfulness of this unbelievably exceptional figure, Mm -hmm. faithful. It's
2: a microcosm, I I think, of world history. I mean, you telescope it uh, so nicely. Three chapters, 10, 11, 12. You have a kind of Eden, and then there's exile, and then there's the promise of eternity. Uh, And Abraham is the one who carries. And God already sees the right. line going, he right. sees yes. the, the son whole picture. who's gonna come,
1: the Messiah who's right. gonna really correct everything and Abraham is the one that that's, he's already planning line. the
2: road to right. bring that But he doesn't know the end no, of, uh, yeah. of the story. And but therein lies the know. faith,
3: right? He knows that the purpose of his calling, his election, his faithfulness, I mean, all of this is a gift, but it's not just for him to hoard. You know, yeah. You will be a blessing to all of the families of the earth In effect, you're going to be a representative father figure of God so that he can reunite everybody, but not through natural, biological, economic wealth and power, but through the barrenness of your wife, through the faithfulness of you in following me. It's like, God, you know, let's back up and rethink this, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's so often how faith works. It's not only counterintuitive. It turns everything upside down in cattywampus.
0: Well, and so, so you've got a, a barren Sarah. You've got a, a pagan Abram that's now being called up. But he's being called to do something, to go somewhere, right? And so so what what is that call? Where is he called to? And is that his faith in action? Is it, you know, well, yeah.
1: And you're, I know where you're going with this. You know, I, I, as an evangelical Protestant, I used to very strongly hold faith alone. Yeah. There's no yeah. works involved. It's faith alone. That's all. They Isn't that what's do. in the
0: scripture? I thought. Well, <laughs> a,
1: you look for the words "faith alone," and you only find them once. And that's where you're saved by works and not by faith alone. But yeah. you know, the, I always held fast to that. And I'm pro- I know probably you too, for you're a Presbyterian, much more towards faith alone than having anything else involved. Yeah. and um, I even in the movie I'm sitting in a Bedouin tent and I say if Abraham said I believe in you yeah. but I'm not going to do everything you say yeah. I'm not going to obey all your commands I'll be selective but I am going to believe in you I'm going to
2: have total
1: belief in you would Abraham have been saved would he right. have had that relationship with God and I had to conclude no
2: yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. would eviscerate yeah. his faith at one stroke right. Correct. just be idle and abstract right what, what I think you call a mental calculation. It, it has to engage the will. He has to mobilize yeah. on behalf of this, uh, this faith. Do something.
1: Obedience all the way through is so important right. to Abraham because even when he, when at, at 99 and God comes and says to him in Genesis 17, now I'm going to make this covenant with you. And I know Dr. Hahn will tell us more about the covenant because I love the way you explain covenants. <laughs> and um, But he said, I'm going to make a covenant with you and I'm going to give you a sign of the covenant. I think Abraham's saying, fine I'm 99 <laughs> years old, I'm going to get something good out of this deal, you know. I'm yeah. going to get a covenant. And a sign of the covenant, and, and God hands him a flint knife yeah. and says, circumcise you. And you and your 375 men. And I think Abraham called the guys that evening. He says, guys, I've got good news and bad news. <laughs> <laughs> First, we have a covenant. But the sign of the covenant is, oh, and again, yeah. it's like when I earlier when I said that Abraham, the poem says, my camels leave in the morning.
2: Yeah.
1: The, the flint knives came out in the morning. And the men were all circumcised. Now, what would have happened if Abraham says, God, we'd followed you here to this land. We've been living here 25 years. I've obeyed you and everything, but I'm not going to do that.
2: Right. Would he have been saved? I think that would have taken several things. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah.
3: You know, I think it's also significant that um, he's circumcised at 99 at the same time God is telling him that exactly one year from now, Sarah will give birth. You know, do the math. That leaves a man who's 99 Three months to recover from surgery. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like that's faith. Yeah, that's good, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah.
1: good. And Sarah even laughed. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> there's well, a good I mean, reason.
2: I mean, to have lasted that long anyway suggests <laughs> yes. a, a certain bounce, a certain resilience. Yeah. Yeah, the that most of us still don't have, have that. Have, <laughs> even, <laughs> even at age 50. You know, okay. God really blesses
1: some of these patriarchs. Remember, Moses at 120, it says his strength was not abated and his eye had not dimmed. You know, even at 120 <laughs> right? some yeah. special blessing that God gives to some of these great men.
0: Yeah. It, 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 when yeah, when you think about the the divine logic, how it turns everything that the natural order of his day and even our day yeah. would say is 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 crazy, yeah. is ludicrous, he did the impossible uh, in, in making that sign of the covenant. He left his people. He took his wife. He believed. But it wasn't, as you say, it wasn't just the, the fundamentalist view of, oh, it was a belief in heart. No, there was action. There was a lot of work oh, involved yeah. in saying, I believe so much that I'm willing to do all of this. Yep. It's out of his heart, out of his belief that that all came, right. but it's not sufficient to just... Right simply say in my heart or my mind that I believe. Right, Uh, That's that's great.
1: The works are necessary. The works, uh, some people say, they're only evidence of the faith, but even in that sense, they're still necessary.
0: Right, right, right. right. And and that's true love, too. I mean, you can say, I love you, but if you completely don't serve me, if you completely ignore everything and, and leave me stranded, you don't love me. No, exactly.
3: This point is so important because faith is not just a kind of nod of the head. It's a pledge of one's own allegiance yeah. to the Almighty. Yeah. You know, and when we pledge allegiance to a flag and then turn our back, that's treasonous. Yeah. And so Abraham knew that kind of thing. And yeah. you know, when Paul speaks about Abraham as the father of faith, you know, there in Romans and again in Galatians, as you well know, you know, the first time he introduces the notion of faith in Romans, 1 verse 5. It's in a phrase, the obedience of faith. The last time he uses the word faith back in chapter 16, once again, it's the obedience of faith. Like bookends. Everything he says about faith is contextualized in the obedience of faith. That's what trust is.
2: I I think this is why we are rightly thunderstruck by Luther's uh, glib Dismissal right. of the Epistle right. of James. He calls it an Epistle of Straw. Right. What was he thinking? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. You, know, you know, those are the things that twisted my arm behind my back
1: and kind of rustled me into the Catholic Church. Because my father always said to me, "You should always follow truth, even if it hurts. Yeah. Always be honest and truthful, even if it hurts." And when you see. Romans' is bookend like that, at with the obedience of faith. And you see that faith alone is not the practice. Paul never says we're saved by faith alone. And James says specifically we're not saved by faith alone. Hmm. And so how can you hold to that view? And I, re- I agree with you, glibly say faith alone, hmm. when it's a very unbiblical position.
0: All right, I want to keep going, Say for the next segment on Franciscan University Presents. <music>
4: Abraham is often identified as the father of mystic religion because he breaks from the polytheism of Ur of the Chaldeans and travels to Canaan where he worships one God, the Lord. So Jews, Christians, and Muslims all look back to him as a kind of father in faith who rid himself of uh, the worship of idols.
0: People recognize Franciscan University as being academically excellent And passionately Catholic. We have the unique opportunity through our faculty members, through our students, to proclaim that academic excellence by reaching out in many different ways. We also remain passionately Catholic in the way in which we are able to worship, the way in which we are able to uh, bring that love of Christ to others on a daily basis. It's important for us to be able to embrace both. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've been talking with Steve Ray about Abraham, the father of faith and works. It's a a DVD that he made with Ignatius Press. I, you've been doing this for 20 years too, the footprints yeah, of God. Yeah,
1: 17, but it'll
0: be 20 17. years by the time we get the sect <laughs> done. <laughs> that's amazing. And it goes all the way from, from the very beginning on through to uh, um, Augustine. Yeah, Abraham. Yeah, have to be
1: the whole story of salvation uh, four that cover the Old Testament, four that cover the New Testament, and two the early church, the Holy apostolic Holy fathers Holy. and the right. doctors of the yeah, church. That's awesome. So you get the whole scale of salvation history and how it's all one flow of God's great saga of salvation. Well,
2: the title is really inspired, The Footprints of God.
1: He came down and got his feet dirty. He gets involved in our life, you know. He doesn't just sit up there like an old man waiting to smack us when we do wrong. He loved us enough to become one of us and he gets involved in our life and he leaves us footprints on the earth. Yeah,
2: and the church has footprints uh, in the soil of time as well. Because we're the
1: mystical body of Christ. We continue the... I'm
2: always reminded of that line from Daniel Liu love best of all that church mudsplashed by
0: history. Huh. Mm-hmm. You know, the historicity mm-hmm. yeah. of, of the church, of yeah. Christ, of salvation. Yeah. You know. we, we were talking about this on the break, but just the, uh, the, the beauty of being Catholic, that we're very earthy, we're very incarnational, yeah. you know, and, and the, the joy of being able to have a, a, a package like this. Some can be on pilgrimage with you or go uh, to the holy sites around the world, but through this DVD, you really bring us on a pilgrimage. So it's, it's really a gift uh, in, in so many ways. Um, but we're talking about Abraham, <laughs> we'll get back to Abraham. So what did uh, God promise Abraham? Because he didn't just say, do all of this and, and, and that's the end of the story, right? Well,
1: he gave him some very profound blessings. First was a son, which at 75 years old when the promise is first given and later uh, at 99, that's quite a promise when you don't have a child and, you're, and it looks like your family line is gonna stop. It's gonna end and you'll be the end of the family line to have a son carry it on that was very important for these people Mm -hmm. eastern people and then to be given a land he he's part of of Ur of this city now it's a pagan city but he, and he has his area where he keeps his sheep and his flocks but to go and be given his own land okay. where he's going to be the patriarch of it and where the whole new relationship with God God's going to start a whole new thing and you know Dr Hans going to talk about covenant in a minute and <laughs> and this whole covenant um, nobody can explain it better and to have the whole idea of a covenant with God and a whole new family and a land and when he says gets there he's going to say all this land that you've walked on will be yours Mm. and yet again it's kind of cruel just like the name father uh, abraham never owned an inch of that land except for a cave that he bought to bury his wife Mm. but that would come to the to his inheritance for his children they would inherit the land so god is doing something bigger than just this one man he's going to carry it on to future generations and he's going to be a blessing to the world he's going to be a blessing to everybody meaning, of course, Jesus being the seed of Abraham, but in a way, through Abraham, the whole
0: world would be blessed, Mm. which is a tremendous promise. Mm. And so it, it starts as a promise. Uh, would it be accurate to say it gets upgraded to a covenant? <laughs> I think so, yeah, and
1: even a sign of the covenant, okay. take it
0: away. Uh, so what, what does that mean when we talk about the covenant in regards to Abraham? What, what, was that just a promise? Was that a contract? Do you know well, I anything? Mean?
3: The distinction you just made is the one that's made in Hebrews, chapter mm-hmm. 6, verse 13, because on the one hand, God gives to Abram a promise, okay. and that is the object of faith and yet it's one thing to know that it's true it's another thing to actually understand how it'll be realized given my weakness my age and all the rest and so in hebrews chapter 6 verse 13 through 20 god adds to the promise an oath now for us that's just a legal ritual but for the ancients an oath was the constitutive principle of a covenant mm. if all you have are promises really you're stuck with a contract yeah. but once you upgrade that to a, a solemn and a sacred oath then you have a covenant And I think this is why we see Abraham, not just entering into a personal relationship with God, but a kind of family plan, because there are previous stages, the covenant that goes all the way back to the marriage of Adam and Eve, and then their line, 10 generations to Noah and the flood, and then 10 generations from Noah to Abraham. And so you can see how God is establishing a covenant as a sacred kinship bond with a married couple, then four married couples aboard the ark that form a household and then a man who's known to his contemporaries as a kind of chieftain, Abraham is, has a tribe, he has 318 men who are ready for service in Genesis 14. The only problem is he has no son. So mm-hmm. she said, I mean, God's covenant family is going to disintegrate when this childless father dies except that God fulfills the promise. And so the line continues from Abraham through Isaac to Jacob until Jacob's sons become the tribes of Israel, and the covenant family plan continues. But when you zoom lens, when you really telescope onto Abraham, then you realize that he's giving him a promise, but actually he's giving three promises. You know, He's giving him the promise of descendants and land and nationhood, Then he's also giving him promises back in Genesis 12, verse 3, for a a great name, which is like an expression for kingship or Mm -hmm. dynasty. Mm -hmm. And then he's giving a promise to bless all the nations through Abram. You know, and so this is what sets the stage for the the narrative that unfolds, because you end up not with one covenant between God and Abraham, but one covenant in Genesis 15 with Abram, one covenant with Abraham in Genesis 17, as you mentioned, his name Mm -hmm. was changed. And then suddenly a covenant in Genesis 22 with Abraham's seed. And these three covenants in 15, 17, and 22 really do correspond to the land and nationhood, to dynasty and kingship, and then also to the blessing for all of the families of the earth to be part of the family of Abraham. And when you look at it closely, you realize that not only is it inspired scripture, but it's an exciting script. You know, it really sets the stage for everything that unfolds subsequently to the coming of Jesus, because the opening verse of the New Testament is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So at long last, 2,000 years later, the promises are all being fulfilled.
2: It's all lost, I think, in the providence of God, this this promise, this vow, this covenant. It's part of the mystery of God, divine election. So he takes the initiative. But we can't discount the sort of courage that Abraham must have brought to the table. He's summoned, he responds, not blindly, because, I mean, trust is not blind. It is rooted in reason, logos, there is meaning, but it's pretty obscure. Uh, Uh, And it needs flesh and blood. He needs a son. He needs progeny, but he trusts that God won't betray him. And that's extraordinary.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: The way I put it in the movie is I, over and over, I say he latches on to God and he won't let go. He says, you promised me this. I'm holding you to it. I'm not going (laughs) to let go of you. Even if I don't see or hear from you for years, I'm still hanging on because I know
3: you're there. at At the same time, there's something that kind of counterbalances it because the first actual dialogue between God and Abram occurs in Genesis 15, and that's where you see that Abraham's faithfulness is also honest. He is honest about his own weakness, you know, because here is God saying, you know, you're going to have children, and Abraham believes, you know, in Genesis 15, verse 6, but he goes on to do what the catechism calls his first prayer is a veiled complaint, unquote. You know, for I continue childless, yeah. <laughs> and the heir of my house will be a slave, Eliezer yeah, yeah, of Damascus. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, Abram, you're talking to the Almighty here, you know. But yeah. <laughs> well, he's not talking about the weakness of God's word. He's talking about the weakness of yeah, his own faith. Exactly. Exactly. And that's precisely when God intervenes by upgrading the promise to an oath, not because God's word isn't good, but because Abraham's faith is so yeah. weak, and he knows it. That's right. Yeah, right and so you you supplement this with a covenant oath the latin word of which is sacramentum which kind of reminds us why we don't just have the liturgy of the word we have the liturgy of the sacramentum because our faith needs to be strengthened too yeah. like Abraham. now you know the faith of mary is not weak i mean she's perfect and yet
2: She sort of wonders about this. How can this be? I don't know, man.
1: Yeah, both of them have, this is a beauty of Mary and Abraham, both examples of faith for us because both of them were not perfect in in their... and they're being able to know everything and to have right. complete right. trust because right. Abraham you know he he shows his signs of weakness and right. even though he's the father of faith and like you said he's he's a great example of this but he shows still shows his weakness and he goes ahead and follows Sarah's plan to have a baby through Hagar right. which yeah. in a sense Hagar, is saying the Egyptian, uh, the Egyptian <laughs> exactly yeah. coming yeah. from Egypt then and, and saying well I maybe God is going to do it not the way he promised to do it maybe right. we better step in and and help him a little bit you know what we Right. And even Mary at the same time, when the, at the end of the Annunciation, the, I think the most poignant verse is, and then the angel left her. Mary standing there, 15-year-old girl, all of this is, how does she process all of this? Right, right. And then she doesn't have the angel come back every day and meet her at the table or send her tweets or Facebook <laughs> updates on what's going to happen today. And even when Jesus was back at the temple, she goes back and says, why have you done this to your father and I? So all of them, Abraham and Mary, also had to be like us, the example of faith, because they walked in the darkness, one foot at a time in the darkness, trusting God, Right. and they give us the example, because that's how we have to live.
0: It's yeah. a very genuine faith. Yeah, it's very, that, it's very real. Yeah. I mean, because if you knew
2: the outcome, if things would turn out well in the end, then you wouldn't require yeah.
1: faith. Yeah. In fact, Mary, what's her outcome gonna be? A sword will pierce your soul right. also. Right. What kind of an end yeah, is I that? Yeah, I can
3: hardly wait. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, very exciting. There's <laughs> clearly a similarity between the faith of Abraham yeah. And, and Mary, but there's also dissimilarity. I yeah. Mean, yeah, her faith is perfect in a way that Abraham's isn't, right. Right. and mine exactly. Isn't, you know? That's right. right. And so, as you were saying, you know. When he takes Sarah's suggestion to have Hagar, the Egyptian, become his concubine, I mean, even if Augustine is right that that was not immoral or or unethical, nevertheless, for St. Paul in Galatians 4, this sort of embodies the works of the flesh for Abram. You know, God helps those who help themselves. He has no hands but ours, (laughs) so I must take this (laughs) Egyptian woman and make her my concubine and help God fulfill his plan, you know. And no, 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 this is yep. going to postpone the fulfillment. Your plan, God's plan. Which, yeah. which do you but, want?
2: Wasn't it sort of Sarah's plan? She urged yeah. it was to it do this. And then, of course, she right. bitterly
3: regrets. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, no, yeah, You yeah, can't we, blame her. Both are faithful and yet help their unbelief. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody who's a, a, kind of a mysterious character in some ways uh, enters into this story in Genesis 14. You have this, this this priest, Melchizedek. Oh, yeah. And and there's significance to this encounter. What, what, what is that? when Abraham meets Melchizedek?
1: Well, uh, Jerusalem's a very Eucharistic city. And uh, Abraham is coming from a battle and he comes past Salem. And the king of Salem, Jerusalem, comes out and it says that he is, in Genesis 14, that he is a priest of the Most High God. It's a picture of it's it's Jesus it's a picture of Jesus coming and out from the city of Jerusalem he brings bread and wine and Abraham gives a tenth of the spoils he gives a tithe he represents all the people of God bringing their tithe their gifts to the priest because we're all in his loins in a sense and we're uh, in him we're all bringing our ten percent and the, high, the priest, Melchizedek, he brings out bread and wine, which the catechism says is a, yeah. is a picture of a prefiguration of future of what the Eucharist would be. And I'm standing in the King's Valley. When I do this, I have a table set there and I have a loaf of bread. And why am I standing here with a loaf of bread and a glass of good red wine? Well, because this is where Melchizedek, where this whole prefiguration of our Eucharist would come.
3: Yes. Yeah, and, you know, he's the first person to be called priest in the Hebrew yeah. Bible. Yeah. So you go through 13 chapters until you find a priest and he's also a king. And so, you know, kings come from Judah, priests come from Levi, but long before that, yeah. you have one man who is both priest and king in Salem. You know, and this identification that you made with Jerusalem and Salem is exactly what Psalm 76 does. It it links Salem to Zion, where we have the city of Jerusalem. And so it's just a marvelous convergence. It's sort of like all of these spokes converging on the hub of Melchizedek yeah. as a, a type of Christ. Yeah. And, and to
2: speak of Mary as daughter Zion, yeah. because she's filled with all the longings of yeah. her people yeah. thirsting for some kind of transcendent deliverance, yeah. which she carries in her womb mm-hmm. for nine months. Yeah. Mm,
0: mm, mm. yeah, and I'm always just fascinated because it's, he enters in the scene, you have some... I don't say theory it may not be the right word, but yeah, Melchizedek is such an interesting character. But that Abraham even recognizes that, recognizes Recognize, yes. that he submits is a, to he submits yeah. to him. I mean, that even though he is going to be a chief and a, and a father of many nations, he still submits to him.
1: And, and uh, so this is 4,000 years ago. You think it's not important because it's so old, but our priests today are still priests in the order of Melchizedek because. In the, in the Jewish economy, you had Aaron the high priest, but Jesus did not come from the priestly line of Aaron. It says in the book of Hebrews, which Dr. Hans done so much work on and did so well, is that that comes, that comes Jesus is from the line of Melchizedek. He is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, which means that our priests today, 4,000 years later, they look all the way back 4,000 years to Melchizedek for their priesthood. Mm. So this stuff that we're talking about isn't just for the old days not important. It's very appropriate for us yeah,
0: today. Yeah. I want to go deeper into that in the next segment. Stay with us on Franciscan. University presents.
4: So the scriptures say that Abram came from Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, Ur would have been located down near the uh, mouth of the Persian Gulf near modern-day Kuwait. It was part of larger Mesopotamian culture. Mesopotamian culture was very polytheistic. Every separate city-state had its own divinity, and their uh, theology was kind of a divinized politics, if you will. The conflicts and the relationships between their different gods reflected the relationships of these city-states. So it was a place of paganism where religion and politics were all mixed together, and there wasn't really a sense of a true creator god.
0: I am a Communication Arts major, the president of Film Club, and an editor for Franciscan University Presents. It's really great to be able to work on Franciscan University Presents because it is a national television show on EWTN, and in a lot of other schools you're not going to have that kind of ability to put that on a resume. When I graduate, I know that I'm going to, to be firm in sticking with my faith and you know, going to daily mass and a free confession and things like that, because instead of just learning with my mind or just focusing on schoolwork, I, I actually, you know, can grow with my whole person. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic. Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. This entire program springs forth from the very heart of Franciscan University in Studentville, Ohio. Uh, we're taping this program right now in our communication arts studio. Our, our students are running the cameras and equipment, our panelists, our uh, theology professors here at the university. Um, Uh, So, Steve, we have begun a really great exposition of the life of Abraham and his his importance as a father of faith and works. You've done a a great job. But a very significant moment comes when he is asked to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac, right? Um, This is crazy. I mean, God just made all these promises and even upgraded those promises to a, a covenant. What's going on? <laughs> well, i tell you what I'd have done.
1: Uh, even if I'd have followed God all up to this point when he asked me now to kill my son and offer him as a burnt offering, I'd have said, okay, that's it. I'm going back to Ur. I followed you, but now I know you're crazy. This is too I'm, far. I'm out of here. Yeah. This, is, this is going too far. You know, this is interesting. This is the first time the word love is used in the Bible. Mm. In Genesis 22, take your son, your only son, whom you love. It's the first time the word love is used. Mm. And I think the Holy Spirit saved it for this place to show the, the tremendous love that a father has for a son mm. because he's going to take him to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. And 2,000 years later, another father with an only begotten son whom he loves will be offering his son on the same mountain. Mm. And I think that the word love is preserved for that place to show the love of God for his son when he offered him up for us. And God is giving us a human example of a man, Abraham, who passionately loves his only son and who is now being required to give him up even though he doesn't have to. And can you imagine that three day walk with your son, probably around 15 years old, and you've got the wood and you've got the fire And you're walking there together, alone, with these two servants behind you. You and his father and son walking, knowing that when he gets there from Beersheba, it's about 50 miles, when he gets there to Mount Moriah, he's going to have to kill his son and offer him. Although I do not believe that Abraham thought he really had to do it. I really believe that he trusted God so much that there was something in Abraham that knew that God would not go back on his promise to kill that son because that son was the basis of God's covenant and promise. And so he said to the servants, the lad and I will go up and worship and when we are done, we will return. We will return. And Isaac says, Father, we have the wood and the fire. Where is the lamb of sacrifice? And Abraham, the Lord will provide the sacrifice, my son. And the book of Hebrews in that great faith chapter 11 says that Abraham knew that even if he had slain his son, God would raise him from the dead. Mm. That's the faith of Abraham. So again, we not only see the obedience of Abraham willing to go up and take the knife and come down even to that point. The f- obedience of Abraham, but also the faith because he knew that God would somehow intervene. See that, and, th-
2: yeah, and the faith of Abraham takes the form of hope and trust, uh, uh, a reckless trust that God can somehow pull the rabbit yeah. out of the hat. <laughs> good I, can, way
0: to put I believe he can do that. Yeah, that's a good I And mean, that's powerful to think of it that way. But, yeah. but also, I mean, it shocks uh, the, the, our, our sensibilities to think that God would ask that. Yeah. And w- would it have been shocking to Abraham that God would ask him to do this.
1: I think in a way it would be shocking simply because this is my only son whom you promised. I was 100 years old when he was born. I'm now 115. I'm not going to have another opportunity to have a son, so I'm shocked that you would ask me to do this. Yes. But I think it's not shocking in the standpoint that human sacrifice was not unusual in those times. Even when they dug up Ur, when the uh, archaeologists from Britain dug up, they found tombs and they called them death pits because when the king would die, all of his servants would die with him. And there were some tombs that had 75 of them laid out strategically all around the king to travel with him in his afterlife, so to speak. So human sacrifice was not so bad. And I wonder if God wasn't, it says he was testing Abraham. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, he, he was, te- I'd say, well, come on, you've tested me enough, haven't you, you <laughs> already tested me, haven't I proved myself, do you have to test me this way? But he's testing him, and I think I wondered in my own mind, just speculating, if he's not saying, in your old life in Ur, you had human sacrifice. You would have sacrificed your son or humans had the god Nana required it, but now you've accepted me. Are you loyal to me? Would you do the same for me now? No. Would you also do this for me, what you would have done for the gods of the past? Have you really converted? Have you really decided to follow me even to this point? Mm. And God tested him. But I think God also wanted us, all of the creation, even the angels, to have an example of what it was like for a real father to offer up his son
3: you know i, I yeah. think that even more than melchizedek this episode in genesis 22 gives us a foreshadowing a prefiguring yeah. but almost a pre-enactment because as you're pointing out you know abraham is a symbol who represents god because god is a faithful father yeah. he's a father yeah. of faithfulness and then we have take your son your only son whom you love so a father who is faithful takes his only beloved son and offers him, the text says, as a holocaust, yeah. you know, and where Moriah, and we know from, what is it, Second Chronicles 3, 1, that Moriah is the mountain range where Solomon built the temple. Right. So it's not just out in the desert, you know, <laughs> here is a faithful father and offering his only beloved son as a holocaust, where Jerusalem is yeah. later on, 2,000 years. And you also have on the third day, they get there, yeah. you know, so yeah. there's that resurrection motif yeah. Yeah. on the way up. The Lord will provide himself the lamb. Right. Yeah. The father yeah. assures the son. And so when the sacrifice is suspended, interrupted, you know, we are startled that God would have called him to do that. But what's even more startling is that God is the one who finishes it, that he is the father of faith who offers his only beloved son, provides the lamb. They were at Moriah in order to release this blessing, to fulfill the covenant, to make all the nations part of the yeah. family of Abraham, yeah. part of the family yeah. of God, you know, and, yeah. and once again, you see a dramatic script, you know, an exciting narrative, historical truth, at the same time, theological mystery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this calls you to contemplate. Yeah, yeah. And, and the parallels even are,
1: are so wonderful there. It also, when you see, it says that Isaac carried the wood of the sacrifice on his back. Right. Yeah. And right. the yep. parallel of Jesus carrying yep. the wood of the sacrifice across on his back and when you get to the point of the sacrifice when Abraham has been told not to kill his son he finds a ram whose head is stuck in a thorn bush and yep. Jesus has gone now with his head stuck in a thorn like, bush the crown of thorns yeah. you see the the thorn yeah. and then I thought to myself well what is the sign of the curse of the earth the curse of the earth the sign of that is thorns and thistles <laughs> Jesus is going to the cross not only to, for our souls but he's also redeeming the earth from the curse that it's yeah. been placed yeah. Under. Yeah. and he even has the sign of the curse on his head the crown Good. of thorns
2: yeah. Good. so <laughs> yes. all of these things just, <laughs> the parallels, the
1: parallels it just uncanny. makes you want to Sit up Powerful. on top of Mount Moriah and just right. meditate on this yeah. all the, day. The
3: details are significant, but there's one detail that I think is sort of conspicuously lacking, and that is Sarah. I think she is underrated, and no, no surprise for <laughs> four men, but you know, she's not present there. But when God says, Take your son, if that's all God had said in Genesis 22, verse 1, take your son and offer him, I think Abraham would have said, Okay, Ishmael, where did you go? (laughs) Let's go on a trip, you (laughs) know. But he says, take your son, your only son whom you love, because in Genesis 21, you have God commanding Abraham this time to listen to Sarah and to, in effect, disinherit Hagar and her son, Ishmael, who was also Abram's son. And so this this, this, uh, maternal role that she plays, you know, it it was a sort of slip-up back in Genesis 16 when she suggested her maidservant would make a great concubine, you know. But in Genesis 21, there's a kind of vindication of her so that she really does safeguard the only beloved son. So God doesn't really give Abraham two options. It's take your son, your only son, because as of the previous chapter, you know, this other son. It's like Jesus says in John 8, that the slave does not continue in the house forever, but the son does. So the slave Ishmael, is set away with, you know, all kinds of care, you know, goods, but he's disinherited. But Isaac, you know, really does foreshadow Jesus in a way that God enabled Sarah to ensure. I I see Isaac as a figure uh, for Jesus, who
2: of course comes to fulfill that that symbolism. Uh, In this sense, uh, Jesus sweats massive amounts of blood that fall onto the ground. Uh, that's how Luke accounts for this agony in the garden. Uh, he, he's, he's prepared to embrace the cross if this is what my father yeah. is asking of me. But you know, uh, maybe I could skip the rope. Uh, maybe yeah. we could postpone this. I, I'm not sure I want the chalice at this moment. Humanly speaking, yeah. there's hesitation, there's fear, reluctance. We don't know what Isaiah is, is feeling because it's never externalized. Isaac, but you know. Isaac, but I would suspect that he was profoundly fearful yes. of what is about and to happen. And it seems he's a willing servant.
0: submissive. Yeah, that's what right. i no that saying. Voluntar-
1: there's, no, there's no sense of resistance. Right, he's his, not going to fight his father. Down, yeah. you know, the yeah. get and
3: run. Because yeah. if he's 15, this. 16, or yeah. 17, yeah. He's, he's, and the old <laughs> man is about 115, <laughs> you know, there is no Clearly. sense in which he is simply a reluctant involuntary. He really does prefigure Jesus as a willing victim, giving consent, not happily, but you believing. And
0: when you think of this, just from the Jewish perspective, I remember doing this with our kids, going through this as a Bible study. And my kids kept saying, how could the Jewish people understand this if they don't understand the, the cross? Point, yeah. I mean, really, when you think about this from a, from a purely you know, Hebrew context, yeah. This is an abomination. God says, thou shalt not kill, and this is what God is saying. But no, no, that wasn't. The whole
2: choreography that God has planned from all eternity is just incomplete without the New Testament.
1: You know, this story, I played with it in my mind. If this is a story of Isaac and he's Jesus, then what would happen if you go a little further? And I... If you see Abraham now. It's like the resurrection when he takes Isaac home. That's a picture of the resurrection too. He went to the yeah. sacrifice. He takes him home. He takes him home and he says, "My son needs a bride," and he wants. He doesn't want a bride from the pagan Canaanites. So he sends his unnamed servant. We don't know his name. He sends him back to his own people to find a bride and brings. Rebecca back to to his son, and they take he takes her to a tent and weds her and loves her. And I saw the story of God the Father continues because once God the Father raised his son from the dead and took him back home yeah. to heaven, he says, "My son needs a bride," mm-hmm. and he sends his unnamed servant, the Holy Spirit, which is a description, not a name, sends yeah. him back to his own people to find a bride for his son. He finds the bride, he brings her gifts, the spiritual gifts that he gives to all of us, and then he takes the bride back home for the marriage feast of the Lamb, and Jesus, who is like Isaac, mm. takes her into his tent and loves her and marries and her. And that's
3: the second time love occurs. And exactly, yes. that's the
1: second right. time it says that Isaac took his wife into his tent and he loved her. Second time the word love is used is of the love for Jesus and his church.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, let me slide in one last thing in the last few moments here. <laughs> this is powerful. I always want to stop there, but, but why is he called the father of all faith, or?
1: Well, he's the father of all who have faith, it right. says in the book of Romans, because he is the example, and through him comes Jesus, the Messiah, and all of us then are adopted into that family, we're adopted into the family of Abraham, or, and Abraham becomes a father of us all, where Jesus becomes the seed, and from that we're all... Children of his so we are the sons and daughters of abraham and we jews and christians have the right to claim that because we are
3: of his line that passage you refer to in romans 4 verse 1 there's a professor at duke a friend named richard hayes he's written a very influential article that analyzes the grammar because the question is not what then shall we say about abraham our forefather according to the faith or according to the flesh It's rather, what then shall we say about Abraham? Was he even our forefather according to the flesh? Because the whole point that Paul is making Mm. is that Abraham became the father of Israel by trust, waiting a century, and then receiving the son, and then turning around and offering him. You know, so there's nothing carnal about the spiritual paternity of Abraham. This is fatherhood according to the spirit. Mm. This is fatherhood according to faith, and not just for the Israelites, this is how Paul shows us that Abraham's faith becomes really the seminal principle mm-hmm. that makes us all his spiritual offspring, Amen. precisely because of how he represents. God the Father, and Isaac represents the beloved son. You know, then all of a sudden, once again, it's not just true history. It's a contemplative mystery, Mm -hmm. and one that we really have to make our own as we struggle like Abraham does with all of our tests.
0: Mm -hmm. So he really is our father in faith, and the people have faith faith in in the one true God. Uh, Stay with us for the final segment of Franciscan University Presents. I'm in the 4
1: plus 1 program here for counseling. It is very academically challenging, but the classes are a lot of fun. The teachers do love what they teach and they know their fields very well. If you're interested in mission, that's a big thing here. I did San Diego for two years, and that was a youth ministry mission. There are a lot of opportunities here to be actively pro-life, praying outside the abortion clinic. There's a big group that goes to the March of Life here from campus. There's just so much you can do as far as faith goes. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic.
0: Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy, and you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship. Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. Welcome to the final segment of Franciscan University Presents, where we've been talking about Abraham, the father of faith and works. Uh, Regis, could you start us off?
2: Yeah, uh, Steve, thank you so much uh, for, for coming and for all of those trips to the Middle East. That's <laughs> that's really quite, quite impressive. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the village of Chelm. Uh, it's in Poland, it's not far from uh, uh, the Ukraine. But in Jewish folklore, uh, it's a village where an angel dumped uh, by mishap a bunch of fools whom God wanted him to distribute uh, across the globe. And they all land in the village of Chelm, one of whom gets a job. He's employed by the elders to sit outside the village and wait for the Messiah and he waits and he waits and he and he becomes quite bitter because he's not paid much and he complains to the elders and they agree they say yeah that's right you're not getting much money but consider this the work is steady <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's funny but it does mask i i think a certain bitterness a certain sadness yeah. they're waiting for someone whom we believe has already come. Abraham could tell them he's coming. You just need to be faithful. It wasn't Judaism that crucified the Messiah. It was the infidelity of Judaism, and we all conspired to kill Jesus as well. But Abraham is faithful. He's open. He's prepared to uproot himself, his family, everything, and, and leave his land. He's surrounded by pagans. You know, they're steeped in what I would call polytheistic superstition. They have all kinds of gods, wacko gods, domestic deities who travel with them, but Abraham is riveted upon a god who doesn't travel. Abraham has to travel. He has to become nomadic before he can find him, and it's so elusive, uh, and it, it, it requires so much trust and courage but he's got his act together, mm. and that's what makes him so imposing a, a figure. Mm. And I'm, I'm just so delighted that you've, you've uh, seized upon him in this, uh, this series. Oh,
3: thank you. Mm Thanks, Regis. Scott. You know, one practical point I think we can take away for our own personal life is to look at Scripture and to see the record of salvation history. It's true history, but it's not what others would consider history. It's not political, military history. I mean, why focus on some guy who's in the backwoods? You know, why focus on the backstory of this, this nomad? You know, why not Hammurabi? You know, why not tell us what Egyptian dynasty, the name of the Pharaoh, all of the important people? Because in history, it's the people who bear the promise, who have the gift of faith. They're the ones who transmit the life, not that is human, but divine, (laughs) not just temporal, but eternal. And so from Abraham to Isaac and Jacob, all the way to Jesus, and all the way to us, because we might not have the power, the wealth, the prestige of the Hammurabi's or the, the Donald Trump's. On the other hand, what we've got is infinitely more precious, and it's the same thing he had. And so there's history, then there's history, you know, and there's land and power, and then there's heaven. And it's not just pie in the sky. I mean, Abraham is looking for a city whose builder and maker was God, as you know from Hebrews 11, and so should we. The city of God is not just at the end of time, but it is above us, and it comes to us. When we worship faithfully in the mass, we have heaven on earth. We have Father Abraham in our midst, along with the angels and saints. And this isn't rhetoric. This is more real than whatever we see splashed on the headlines the next day. And Abraham, I think, is exhibit A, proof Mm -hmm. positive that what matters as far as the direction of history from the perspective of the Lord of history, the Lord of Lords, is faithfulness, Mm. obedience, and trust.
1: Very good. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed sharing all this with, with you guys. I mean, I, I could just keep going on and on because I love being with <laughs> all of you. I just I love being with people who love the Lord and love the church and the Bible. And uh, one of the reasons I like doing these movies, uh, we've done eight of them now, and mm-hmm. starting Elijah and Alicia and have that done by the end of this year, is because I want people to realize that this is true history. The yeah. mm-hmm. story of Abraham isn't, you know, the Bible doesn't begin with, Once upon a time, in a land far away, <laughs> a fairy tale begins again. No, this is real history. Abraham really lived 4,000 years ago. He really did these things. He really was the father of faith. Isaac and Jacob were real people. This story of Saga of Salvation is true. God really came down and he got his feet dirty in our history. He loved us enough to become involved with us. He didn't just walk away and say, they sinned, let them rot in their sin. No, I love them. I'm going to start over again. I'm going to bring redemption. I'm going to start to this man, Abraham. And I want people who may never be able to go visit visit these places, people who can never see Ur of the Chaldeans or to see Jerusalem or the tomb of Abraham, I want them to realize that it's real true. It's real history. I want people to be willing to die as martyrs if they have to. Mm. I want them to realize the truth of this and die as martyrs. And these men have given us, and women, because the book of Hebrews also compliments Sarah and says how what a great woman of faith she was, and that she also believed God following the flocks through the deserts, a hundred degrees a lot of times always willing to stay with Abraham and follow him. She didn't just say, I'm getting a divorce. I don't have love for you anymore. And this is crazy. She loved him. She loved God. And she also, even though she wavered at times too, but she in the long term clung to God as well, not just Abraham, but also his faithful wife. And they are good examples for us of how we have to live the faith. We have to cling to God, even in dark times, even in times where it seems like the promises aren't coming true hang on to him, cling to him, because this is real history, even Mm -hmm. if you have to be a martyr for it. Mm -hmm. And you know, one of the things that we don't recognize often is these men are saints in the tradition of the church. Paragraph 61 of the Catechism says that these men, patriarchs and prophets and many others in the Old Testament are considered saints in the liturgy of the church and always will. So we're very correct to say, Saint Abraham, Saint Mm -hmm. Isaac, and Saint Jacob, pray for
0: us. Right. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Steve. Uh, If you've enjoyed today's program uh, with Steve Ray. We have a handout for you. You can get it um, online at Faith and Reason or just for asking. Uh, This is great for for you to go a little deeper or maybe to share with somebody because uh, Steve goes into, was Abraham saved by faith alone? It's a question that we we talked about during the program, but you got to make sure we're sharing this with our our family, our friends, those uh, that we meet and greet. uh, father Abraham is really the father of all of our faiths, and I want to encourage you, whether you're a priest, whether you're a father or grandfather, whether you're a mother or grandmother, whether you're a brother or sister, uh, to go deeper in the scriptures and understand who Abraham was. Go and watch the Footprints of God series so that you can share this with others, because this is our history. This is our story. This is where we come from. And when you think about this faith that began uh, early on and through revelation called people out, his faith was tested, his faith was challenged, but a sign and an oath that he made, um, as, as uh, Scott talks about so readily, is, is our oath in living out our sacraments, that our world is, if we are living out the sacrament of the faith, if we are embracing uh, the oath that we are called to as faithful Catholics, our world will be transformed. Um, And so we need to step out in faith uh, in a new and powerful way. That's what our call is as Catholics. Uh, We're supposed to share this and spread this throughout the world i want to invite you uh, to be a part of franciscan university's mission um, we believe we're, we're helping form the next generation to go out and transform the world for christ and you can be a part of that too by coming to our campus here in Steubenville, ohio or getting your degree online through franciscan university uh, this is a time where we need people with faith and reason uh, to go out and be uh, the gospel uh, to all the world I want to invite you also to be at one of our summer conferences with speakers like this uh, who can really instruct and inspire us. But today, I want to especially encourage you about going on a pilgrimage. Uh, Going on a pilgrimage with Franciscan University, we've partnered with Steve Ray. Uh, I've been with him at least twice. And uh, we are going to be continuing to go to places like the Holy Land where it's safe, but you can feel the earth. You can swim in the the Sea of Galilee. You can go to many of the holy shrines and sites around the world. But you can also come and visit uh, through the video series as we talked about today. Uh, but go to faithandreason.com where there are talks, insights, and a way that you can be better equipped to fulfill your call to be a members of the new evangelization. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.
4: To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's 888-333-0381 or call 740-283-6357.